like to be able to say, well, okay, um, with the weekend, the companies will be making more money. They'll be able to uh, to pay wages. They ought to pay um, higher wages, bearing in mind how tight the, the labour market is. And that way, we'll be able to uh, uh, to allow people to um, to pay for things despite the inflation. But it doesn't seem to be going that way at the moment, which is incredibly mm. frustrating. And we really need more out of government from this, which is what we'll we'll have a, a, a lot of argument with the uh, 10th of July upper house election. Um, here's a quick question for you. Uh, the, the Japanese yen's at a 20-year low against the Hong Kong dollar, and Hong Kong residents have been rushing to uh, Bureau of Changes to swap their Hong Kong dollars into yen. So what would you advise they go and do now with all this yen that they own? Should they go and invest it in the markets, or do they go and take a holiday in Japan? What would you advise? Oh, you absolutely need to do both. Um, I must say, it's, get, it's still very difficult to get a holiday in, um, in Japan, but uh, one hopes that that will change once we get the other side of the upper house elections. Um, as for the market, it is, it, it is dirt cheap. And actually, it is, um, it's doing better than others. So as long as the currency is hedged, uh, Japan's off 7% against um, sort of 23 24% off for, uh, uh, for US stocks. But Japan is dirt cheap uh, and actually not doing that bad as an economy because of all the fiscal stimulus going on. Okay, Nick, thank you very much indeed for that. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Tokyo right now, the Nikkei 225 is currently up one and a third percent. So something you can do with your yen there, maybe. Uh, The ASX 200 in Australia also up about 0.9 percent. Osby in South Korea up about 0.6%. And the Hang Seng looks set to open about 100 points higher later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Back chat is coming up after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Krause. The weather forecast, hot with sunny periods. Maximum temperature around 32 degrees. Going to remain fine and very hot in the next couple of days. It's 29 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. Times 8.32, here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. The iconic jumbo floating restaurant has capsized in the South China Sea days after being towed away from Hong Kong. No crew members were injured. Frank Young has more. In a statement, parent company Aberdeen Restaurant Enterprises said the vessel had encountered stormy weather on Saturday, causing it to partially sink before capsizing a day later. It also said it expected the salvage work to be extremely challenging since the waters there were more than a thousand meters deep, but that it was now getting further details from the towing company. The 46-year-old restaurant, once a popular tourist destination in Aberdeen Harbor, suspended operations in 2020 amid the pandemic. It was donated to Ocean Park, but the amusement park later said it couldn't find a third-party operator. The parent company had refused to reveal where Jumbo was bound for, saying only that it had found a suitable parking space for it outside Hong Kong. A former Macau legislator says there are mixed feelings in the SAR over government efforts to curb the latest COVID outbreak. Citywide mass testing began on Sunday after dozens of cases were found over the weekend. The self-testing should finish by noon today. Schools are suspended and people are advised not to go to work. Agnes Lam, an associate professor at the University of Macau, says the government responded quickly and systematically to the COVID surge and has pledged to help businesses cope. 
then the government announced that there are more cases and we need to do the test and show everyone's responses that, okay, we can't really afford that anymore. And so then people were very unhappy. So that's also the reason, I guess, that the government announced another 10 billion of public business supporting scheme yesterday and saying that they are going to help the business to go through all this. Back locally, the government's counter-terrorism unit is stepping up a publicity campaign in shops that sell chemicals to try to make it harder for a terrorist to buy raw materials to make bombs. Officers from the Interdepartmental Counter-Terrorism Unit say authorities have uncovered almost 20 cases involving explosives or precursor chemicals since the social unrest of 2019. Those who sign up pledge to report anything suspicious, such as people buying an unusual amount of chemicals and paying in cash. Peter Leung is a senior police superintendent. I think one of the channels is through the hardware stores or chemical outlets in Hong Kong. The pattern is the same as the overseas terrorist incident experience. That means uh, overseas terrorists also aim to acquire such kind of precursor chemicals from street level outlets. So that's why I think it's a one of the vulnerability in Hong Kong. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. And by the way, it's not Monday again. <laughs> no, no need to panic. <laughs> <laughs> On today's programme, we'll be talking about uh, the big news of this current period, and that is the uh, cabinet lineup of the incoming chief executive, John Lee. The central government has approved the new team made up of incumbent officials, seasoned civil servants and professionals from a range of backgrounds. Eric Chan, the current director of the Chief Executive's Office, was named as the next uh, Chief Secretary, while the Financial Secretary, Paul Chan, will remain in post. And uh, several ministers are new to the government. Among the notable appointments, uh, Lo Chung Mao, the head of the University of Hong Kong Shenzhen Hospital, will be in charge of the revamped Health Bureau. Incumbent lawmakers Alice Mack and Sun Dong have been named Minister for Home and Youth Affairs and Secretary for Innovation, Technology and Industry. After 9.15, we'll be looking at obesity and the pandemic. A survey has found that one-third of Hong Kong adults have put on the kilograms during the fifth wave, increasing their body weight by as much as 10%. Now, before we get to our main discussion, a reminder about what we announced at the end of yesterday's programme, and that is we will no longer be dedicating the half hour between 8.30 and 9am to COVID-related news, at least not on a daily basis. That's because we felt that on some days the situation hadn't changed or developed enough to warrant a full half hour or 25 minutes of coverage. But of course the pandemic and all that goes with it remains a major factor in our lives and on some days it will undoubtedly be the subject of Backchat. And thanks to all those expert guests who've been appearing on Covid updates and hopefully we can talk again soon. And if there's anything you, the listeners, want to say about COVID-related matters, feel free to get in touch. And likewise, if you want to add to today's conversation, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233 266. 
And we're now joined uh, on the line by uh, John Burns, Emeritus Professor and uh, Honorary Professor of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong, and Alan Lung, the co-convener of the Path of Democracy. Um, John Burns, perhaps uh, if we could go to you first. Uh, good morning. Morning. So the central government uh, uh, confirmed the appointments uh, on Sunday to John Lee's uh, cabinet lineup, uh, and the liaison office has said that the new lineup will help Hong Kong integrate nationally, raise the city's profile overseas, uh, but noted that uh, deep-rooted problems like housing would have to be tackled as well. Um, what do you think? I mean, is this, is this team going to help Hong Kong to integrate nationally and raise the overseas profile of Hong Kong? Well, we'll have to see. What struck me is the continuity of the group that we've got now with the post-June 2021 reshuffled land government. Ten of the people um, just come across not exactly in the same positions. And then a further four, that's 14, are promoted from firm sec to secretary. So that's a huge, huge continuity. So the question is, you know, could that government have done it before? When we look at this government, integration doesn't seem to be the principal focus here, but it seems to be security. And, um, you know, like all governments, I have to say, especially in Hong Kong, where's the unity? Where's the common vision to support the policies of, say, the liaison office or the central government, such as integration? This, we have uh, 21 or 22 individuals who come in here, each with their own agenda. We don't have political parties here. We don't have party discipline here. Uh, I know that that's, you know, that's illegal or, you know, we can't have that. Um, so I'm really wondering about this. And then finally, the last thing is this. This is only the government. In order to produce results, the government needs to actively cooperate with business and civil society. So will it be able to do this? We have to wait and see. Hey, good morning, John. Good morning. Uh, the continuity is there, and of course it raises a fundamental question. How can we expect these guys to do it if the Lamb administration didn't do it? Exactly. This, this, is, this is the point that I am trying to make. So what's new here? There are some things that are new. One is that we have smooth sailing in Let's Go, right, with Patriots only. Right. We have, we have a restructured government that focuses, say, on housing or some kind of thing like that. But then, you know, the same people running it as before, um, more or less. Um, but there, the, the other thing that's new, I think, is that the central government, for the first time, has been quite explicit about its expectations. It was the state council that identified housing. The liaison office talked in more general terms. State council said housing, addressing the wealth gap, and we have a huge problem with that. You know, so if they worked on these things, in addition to security, I think 
um, security, you know, the same old people will be doing security that, since June 2021, and they will do it the same way as before. So we have to see how the, these new, um, with the new structure, new LegCo, and new kick in the butt from the central government to these people, right. um, whether this is going to have any effect. But as I said, it needs collaboration with business and civil society on housing, on every one of these policies. And there's nothing about that so far. Look, there's, there's a lot of good men and women here, um, a lot of managers, sometimes the AO grade. Of course, I was an AO for 28 years, um, accused of having very few doers and more very good, ex eloquent explainers of why nothing can be done. That's a very unkind description, perhaps. <laughs> um, but what I'm looking for when I look along these, uh, I'm looking for flair. I'm looking for vision, imagination. Um, do you see any? Do I see any? Yes, yes, I do see some, but not from the people that you've just mentioned. I mean, who, and these are from some of the new appointees that Jim was talking about. That is to say, Lo Chum Mao. So this guy has very extensive experience across the border with the uh, Hong Kong Yu Shenzhen Hospital. Right. He knows the Hong, he knows the mainland public health system very well. And so, okay, one of the priorities we've been told forever by the, by, our government here is to make arrangements for Hong Kong's elderly to be able to safely and healthily retire on the mainland. Lowe could do that. Lowe understands it's required there. Now, maybe this is a kind of post-COVID thing. If uh, you're no longer doing COVID in the morning, I think that's great, you know. Uh, but so post-COVID, we have to think about that. And then the other one is Sun Dong. So he also has very good um, connections with the mainland, uh, Innovation Technology and Industry Bureau, and he's uh, somebody that could help uh, with the integration uh, expectations of both the State Council and the Liaison Office. What you said about the State Council is very interesting because I'm looking for signs of leadership, and they've been very explicit, haven't they? They have indeed. This, this is, in the past, I think the emphasis has been more on you're managing your own stuff and uh, one country, two systems, it's all great. And now it's, it's kind of, here's a list, okay? Get it done. Mm. So maybe, maybe the spark, maybe the flair is, is going to come from the Hong Kong Mao. Well, let's bring, let's, let's bring in uh, Alan Lung at this point. And, uh, and, and would you like to respond to that, uh, Alan Lung, uh, convener of the Path of Democracy? Well, first of all, what, what the point that Mike was just saying about leadership. What's the... Oh. Yeah. Uh, leadership. Um, I think this is a team that's very good at implementation. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this, uh, this is in, in chief, uh, uh, chief executive John Lee's uh, requirement that they want the doers, not not just uh, explainers, yeah. as Mike said. Mm. And I think the uh, this team, particularly many of them promoted from uh, 
from um, a permanent secretary post knows the business and they can implement. Mm. Uh, uh, how, how does the team look to you? How does the lineup lineup look to you? I think it was a, absolutely a good move that they retained uh, that Paul Chen and Eric Chen, Eric K K Chen was retained because mm. this is the continuity point. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've met uh, Paul Chen a couple of times. He come across as a good listener and very humble and so on. And as an accountant, trained, was tra- he was trained as an accountant. He's a very cautious person, yeah. which is in absolute contrast with uh, John Lee, who's a police officer who, who can be excessive. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a good balance. Yeah, sure. uh, particularly in, uh, while this tr- uh, team is strong on execution. They may have, they may lack a political experience, particularly mm-hmm. in the context of Hong Kong being sucked into uh, this uh, geopolitical conflict between U.S. and China. Mm-hmm. They have no international experience virtually, mm-hmm. and that that is a weakness. Uh, if I mean, if things go goes from from bad to worse. But, but that's one of the priorities, isn't it? The improving yeah. Hong Kong's, uh, raising Hong Kong's profile overseas, which well, in the context of the geopolitical which, uh, background is going to be difficult. Well, uh, if, they, if they go on, if the John Lee have it totally his way, could keep pushing on this uh, a minor infringement of the national security law lock you up, then Hong Kong will continue to lose its competitiveness. And that's a, that is a big problem. Mm. So this is why to have it's good to have a cautious person whose job is uh, really to keep Hong Kong international financial status, not just for Hong Kong for China, because uh, Renminbi uh, capital account is not free flowing. So Hong Kong can, cannot be replaced easily. So that 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 is why I said it's a good move. Uh, K.K. Chan, Eric K.K. Chan, I think he, he uh, I heard, not directly, that he's, he's quite good at people. He has very good people skills. So, so, so there's a very good counterbalance to, uh, you know, police officer background to someone. Sure. And uh, Patrick Nip uh, not being lined up is seen as a loss. But uh, there could be other posts for him. Mm-hmm. He's a very capable uh, AO and uh, minister, and there were very kind words for him at Lesko yesterday, asking him, well, would you switch track, switch track, would we join Lesko and all that sort of thing, which is rare for some someone who's sort of cast out of the, of the team. Patrick, Patrick Nick, the, the secretary for the, the civil service. Yeah, but ju- just on uh, Eric Chan there. So, so he's going to be the uh, chief secretary. Uh, he's uh, he's currently um, with the chief executive's office. So, um, um, d- does does that make sense? In that the, the the role of chief executive, it's going to be new for John Lee. So he'll have a he'll he'll have a senior aide who kind of knows what the job entails inside out. I think it's it's not new to him. He's been doing. He's been following. Uh, 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 Carrie Lam for five years already. He knows everything. He even acts as the press secretary. You know, he's, he's, he's given a job because uh, the current chief executive has no chief uh, press secretary. Mm. So the, the other thing is missing uh, in this lineup is, I think, 
uh, in uh, earlier days of the SAR, each CE uh, chief executive has uh, has a political advisor, and that that was cut off in in the last uh, well in the current administration. All right, uh, and there is no CPU, so a team that is very good at execution will soon execute everything or do everything they could in, in within the time limit. And then they run out of ideas right. because there's no CPU. Well, that, so that, that raises a very interesting point, which I was going to raise next with, um, with John as well. Um, this is the ministers and their deputies. What about the executive council? Who, who are we going to see there, John? I, well, of course, we'll see the ministers there, and Regina Yip is uh, supposed to be the convener. And um, beyond that, I'm, I just uh, really don't know. Perhaps a lot of the, some of the current people will be invited back on. This is what um, has been reported. But, you know, let's just drill down on something. Housing. So we have a lot of good implementers, but we don't have the ideas people for this. And so, and yet this is one of the absolutely fundamental high priority items mentioned first by the state council to John Lee. So how exactly, how exactly are these implementers going to do this? And so, okay, Paul Chan is the financial secretary and he's uh, uh, good at balance and good at um you know, uh, and, and cautious, but is this a time for caution? We have the housing, the housing, the, the head of the housing bureau is uh, somebody who's been doing this forever. The head of the development bureau is somebody who's been doing this forever. So, where are the new ideas going to come from? And um, this, I think, is at a loss. Now, Regina, yes, yeah, look at her. If you look at her platform when she was uh, re-elected to Let's Go, you would see that she has very radical ideas on housing. Housing as a human right, for example. So, all right, that is a very interesting idea. And you contrast that with our Hong Kong Foundation, which seems to be what, what John Lee is talking about. So um, we have, that's one source of new ideas, but how influential is somebody like Virginia going to be? Alan? Well, Regina is 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 the uh, most qualified person in. Uh, she will be the most qualified person uh, if they were lined up for the election. But she's an she's she she was an AO, and and I think the uh, current idea is anything but AO because of the fear that AO will keep explaining things instead of doing things. But uh, but I think Regina uh, know knows the business. She knows it very very well and she's i think if she she were to become chief executive she would tend to protect the uh, you know current the aos and so on and that is probably one of the reasons that, uh, that he wasn't chosen and so on but i think uh the new ideas on housing will actually come from a northern metropole mm. um, this this is according to uh a guy who invented who who invented it, KK Ling, right? Uh, whom I interviewed him. Uh, is is on uh, on YouTube. Uh, three three 
eight eight minutes to twelve minutes segments. And he explained it very very clearly that everything will, including economic de- development, uh, it will he, it will be it will be on on uh, on uh, the northern metropole. Right. I think he did he did an excellent I mean top grade uh, town planning thing, but. When I talked to him, I said, uh, well, you have excellent town planning, but what about social planning and economic planning? And he admitted that is missing. And the, the question for this, this new government is, while there are new ideas popping up here and there, there is no central ideas that link everything together. For example, uh, Lee Kuan Yew said a long time ago when he first became prime minister, he said, uh, economic development or should not be economic development for business. It should be for the people. Like, you know, this is what Regina Ip said. And housing is, is, is you know, is, is the right, not, 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 a, not a commodity that can be traded. And those are the things that, that uh, you know, the philosophical, philosophical things uh, that drive Hong Kong towards certain ideas, particularly how it's going to be integrated with the mainland in terms of philosophy, practices, you know, rule of law and so on, and the conflict uh, and, uh, and ideas and so on so uh, will play out. We need a very clear vision and then we need a driver. Right. Uh, who's going to be the driver? <laughs> Mike Rouse. <laughs> well, I'll do my best from the studio. So, so uh, t- t- talking about uh, looking at the kind of triumvirate, if you like, of uh, top ministers. So, so we talked about Paul Chan, financial secretary, um, Eric Chan, who's going to be uh, chief secretary. Uh, secretary for justice will be uh, Paul Lam, um, former chairman of the Bar Association. Um, and with, with the deputy secretary being um, uh, Horace Chung. Um, what do you make uh, of those uh, appointments, John Burns? Well, I think these are... Um, these we have to see what the deputies are actually going to do. Um, on the in the housing front, the deputy financial secretary Michael Wah, um, he could be put in. He could become the housing czar, and if that happens, and he brings the, together the housing bureau and uh, development bureau and all those that are responsible, say for uh, Northern Metropolis. Um, and they they uh, focus on that. I think this is this is this is what I think people expect. I think the state council would expect something like this to happen. But for the deputy secretary for justice, I'm not so sure what the role um, here will be. We were told something like explaining to foreigners about our rule of law or something like that. That would indicate a kind of, you know, external um, role. Uh, so we have to see, we have to wait and see exactly how that will happen. And then Deputy Chief Secretary, I think there will be an AO, and I think there will be, you know, efforts to further coordinate, but that huge number of departments come under uh, still under the chief secretary, and it will be interesting to see how that works. You know, with with Professor Lowe and public health, we have all these COVID issues hanging around. So um, how will the chief secretary handle these? Mm. 
yeah, I, I, I was hoping to get to the uh, COVID uh, issues uh, after nine o'clock because because uh, it could fill up quite okay. a big quite a big chunk yeah. of time. We've just got a couple of minutes yeah, to go yeah, before yeah. the a, lo a, a lot of our listeners will be wondering about that. What uh, what change may may there be in the policy uh, direction relating to travel and quarantine and uh, social uh, restrictions and so on? Um, Mike, I think you had one more one more question to get in before. No, that was story. that was where I was heading. Actually, right. I, could I see a name there who's going to say Hong Kong's situation is different? We need to do something different for COVID. Can mm. I see that mm. excitement? Mm. I think I think the incoming health <laughs> secretary has said that uh, we're going to have to sort of assess the situation and base it on science, and that the Hong Kong situation is not necessarily the same as the mainland, and we might not have to do things the same. That's very important uh, distinction to make. Mm, mm, that mm. Hong Kong's role in China is different from other parts of the country, mm -hmm. and mm. therefore maybe we need to approach COVID in a different way as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, well, um, like I say, we're coming up to the uh, news summary in just about a minute's time at nine o'clock. Uh, we should say uh, thanks very much to Alan Lung, the co-convener of the Path uh, of Democracy. Uh, John Burns, we hope, can, uh, can stay with us for about another 15 minutes uh, after nine. Um, uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, feel free. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can uh, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call at 233 That's 233 um, I do have um, a few emails and messages which we will uh, deal with uh, after the news break. Um, just before that, uh, a quick look at the weather. It's going to be uh, hot today with uh, sunny periods and isolated showers. Uh, top temperature around uh, 32 degrees, uh, moderate to fresh southerly winds, occasionally strong offshore and on high ground. The outlook, fine and very hot in the next couple of days. It's currently 29 degrees, humidity 78%. <laughs> such kind of precursor chemicals from street level outlets. So that's why I think it's a one of the vulnerability in Hong Kong. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Backchat uh, with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning uh, we're talking about the new uh, cabinet lineup of the uh, incoming chief executive, uh, John Lee, and the uh, various uh, new faces and old faces uh, involved uh, with that. Um, we want to get on to uh, talk about uh, an issue that is of great concern to many of our listeners and has been for some time, and that's about uh, Hong Kong's uh, COVID policies and uh, what the uh, new uh, health secretary, for instance, uh, may mean for that. Um, just before we uh, return to our guests, uh, a message on our Facebook page from Saki says, uh, the only question of interest is how much longer this hotel quarantine and flight suspension nonsense uh, we have to endure. Everybody is just uh, fed up. And uh, this one uh, says... Uh, Sorry, this one also from... It uh, might be the same correspondent, actually. Um, um, sorry, that gets a little bit complicated. No, we'll skip that for now. But anyway, um, uh, John Burns, uh, welcome back to you. Thank 
Thank you. Uh, so we're talking about uh, yeah the so the incoming uh, secretary for health um, Lo Chung Mao. Um, he was uh, well is the the head of the uh, Hong Kong Shenzhen uh, Hospital. Um, wh what do you think? What are your expectations of uh, of any difference uh, of approach to the dealing with the uh, pandemic? Well, uh, this is a very complex operation, and so you have. You have uh, Professor Lowe on the one hand, who is uh, a medical doctor, and then you have the, uh, the team of experts, the four experts that the CE has been consulted in the past. Will these four export experts continue? That's the thing, and they have their opinions and advice and all this. And then, of course, what the government actually does is a political decision. It is always that. Now, Professor Lowe has said that he, you know, he um, supports evidence-based policy, and I think this is very good. I'm sure Sophia Chan did also. That's, uh, you know, that goes with the territory, I would say. And then we have to recognize that Hong Kong is a local government of China. Controlling our border is co-produced with the mainland. So we can, we can, we have to get agreement on how to open the border with the mainland. I think Lo Chung Mao is in a very good position to lead efforts to do that. He understands uh, what is required, but it is both both working together on this. I, you know, I have not left Hong Kong since uh, February 4, 2020, and I refuse to do so uh, because so far I've been able to, you know, not do it simply because of the outrageous, I agree, quarantine arrangements, and we see different quarantine arrangements for political elites and for uh, people that people um, in Hong Kong, people coming from the mainland, people coming from overseas, and all with negative tests. And so th this raises questions about the consistency of this policy that I completely agree with. So. I think Lowe and his team and John Lee are going to have to address this, especially these inconsistencies. Right. Especially you, and you made, you made the point, he understands the mainland, and of course, opening up the boundary with the mainland is going to depend on agreement of the, of the two parties, and it's a national policy. But opening up to the outside world that ought to be within Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy. Do you think jo John Lee and uh, Professor Lowe will exercise that high degree of autonomy on this point? So this is where maybe, Mike, you and I have a little bit of a different perception. I think immigration um, and also uh, uh, pandemic control have to be done in collaboration with the central government. And so, and you know, they have maybe more autonomy than another mainland city in this area, but if they want collaboration on the Hong Kong mainland border, then they're going, the opening up to the outside is also um, got to be done, I think, with uh, the cooperation of the mainland as well. Now, what they need to be focusing on are not how many 
positive cases we have every day, but they need to be focusing on deaths and excess deaths and on hospitalizations and on admission to ICU. And the, if they focus on this, then it seems to me that, as people have said, we're not going back to the kind of fifth wave that we had before. We have more and more people being vaccinated. I would like to see from Locho Mao an absolute much more harder line on vaccination. That is to say, we still have, I think, hundreds of thousands of people who could be vaccinated and choose not to. And I would try to shrink that aggressively. Okay. Um, we're also joined by James Sung, founding director of the Progress and Perfection Research Institute. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, just before we uh, get your view on the new lineup as a whole, uh, just on that uh, topic we were talking about just now, um, what do you think may be now the prospects for a reopening of the border with the mainland and indeed to the rest of the world? Oh, I'm quite positive because if you look at the uh, design from the Hong Kong Macau office uh, uh, yesterday, that the central authority also understand that uh, being a international uh, and financial center of the world, uh, Hong Kong's connection with overseas is extremely important. So there are push from the central authority that Hong Kong should uh, try uh, to open the border. Uh, that is some kind of uh, 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 message from uh, the Hong Kong Macau oh. office. So I believe that uh, John Lee uh, has the um, autonomy to make a decision uh, to open it up. As, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, the headquarter business, business of Hong Kong is extremely important. Many of the office already moved out from Hong Kong to Singapore. So it's really a high pressure to the right. business community. So, so we, I, think, yeah, could, I think the central authority understand that. We can treat the two issues, obviously this to do with COVID, but separately in the sense of opening the border with the mainland and opening to the outside world. Uh, we have to look at the, on their own merits in both cases. Uh, I, I see no contradiction between the two <laughs> because uh, there will be more rigorous uh, requirement uh, to go into the mainland, whereas to go overseas, yes. it's much more easier. Yes, exactly. All right, well, that's good. How about the li line-up overall? What's your impression of the ministers and the deputies? Oh, uh, I think uh, the, uh, it is a mix of the administrative officer and the discipline uh, force uh, together with some outside expert. Uh, so this is a... Uh, uh, good government, I think, uh, because after all, for the administration officer, they know uh, the procedural concern of the policy making process, as well as better in cross departmental uh, communication and decision making. Whereas the disciplined force, they are, they are relatively strong in giving order uh, to the subordinate. Uh, clear instruction uh, to the police, that kind of thing. So it's a mix, because after all, uh, John Lee understands that uh, if you want a better communication across different departments, you still depends on the experience and the talent of the uh, senior administrative officer. Uh, so I think this is a good combination, uh, especially if you look at uh, uh, Paul Chen, uh, 
uh, the financial secretary. Uh, he has uh, one of the strong team in terms of uh, land and housing. For example, uh, you have uh, Michael Wong, Wendy Ho, uh, Benita Ling from uh, housing and uh, development. Uh, so this is one of the strong team, and that is uh, a uh, a wish uh, from the general public as well as a pressure directly from the central government. Yes, you should deliver. Right. What about this philosophical point that housing should be seen as a right rather than a commodity to be traded? Exactly, exactly. So, uh, uh, as you know, that uh, you have to wait uh, 6.1 years <laughs> to enter the public housing. It's too uh, long a period of time, so you have to shorten it up and quickly. So, uh, how to deliver quickly a better construction of housing and uh, the supply of land is one of the uh, major tasks of Johnny's government. Okay, actually, um, another email here from a listener, Vic, under the subject line, Old Wine, New Bottle, says, uh, uh, well, dear Backjack, congrats on the suspension of the daily dose of depression. I think Vic is there referring to uh, our uh, COVID, COVID update uh, segment. Um, uh, says, what is the average age of the new team and who is the youngest and the oldest? I uh, hope you have a ready answer to the same. Uh, uh, well, I'm afraid we don't, uh, Vic, because that would involve uh, a bit of research. But then says, uh, in my opinion, there are few youngsters because we lack the talent pool and or are being a part of the administration is like uh, taking a poison pill or the government will continue to be run like a private uh, club of the elite. Um, I mean, uh, does he have a point there, John Burns? I mean, the, the age profile of the lineup. I mean, it looks to me as though it's uh, it's, it's sort of fairly normal. But um, I mean, would it benefit from um, an infusion of younger blood? Uh, I I think it's fairly normal for senior positions. Remember, mm -hmm. this is a provincial level government so this is the kind of profile that one would expect to see but you know um, uh, if we look at the housing people the, the you know the people that are in charge of the housing policy now are just the same old people who are who've been doing it for donkey's years so so what's new here and new is the kick from the central government so um, is this going to energize this group? This is what we have to see. So I'm not so ready to say, oh, yes, this looks like a good team. It's the same old team. So um, the policy, the policy, the energy from the central government on this is new. Certainly the Hong Kong people have expectations about this, but they have had for a long time, and that hasn't mattered. Um, we have uh, easy ledge go now, and we have this new restructuring. So um, I think we need to see if they're going to be able to deliver it. And we also have the KPIs that uh, everyone is talking about, and one of them is shortening the uh, length of time on a public housing waiting list. But that, that one has been there for the whole of the five years. <laughs> uh, of, uh... No, no, no. Than that, right? <laughs> well, no, I, I'm watching because I, I I wrote about uh, the secretary for housing, the pre the outgoing one, and 
the deterioration during his term of office was quite marked. It went from, I think, five years to 5 5.2, 5.4, 5.6, 5.6.1. 6 <laughs> he got further and further away from the target. Right, yeah. When, actually, when uh, Carrie Lam entered the, uh, uh, the, as the Secretary of Development, uh, the waiting time is only three years. So when he uh, uh, becoming the uh, chief executive, the waiting time is uh, closing to five years. <laughs> when he retired, stepped down, it's now 6.1. So it's longer and longer and longer. <laughs> it's very, it's, maybe maybe it's we need challenge. to change the KPI and turn it into a, a number of housing units within five years. <laughs> you either do them or you don't do them. Right. Okay. Uh, we're going to be switching our topic in, in just a moment. Um, um, we're, joined, we're going to be joined by uh, Dr. Michelle Yoon uh, talking about um, um, the problem of uh, obesity during the fifth wave of the pandemic. But uh, just before we do that, just a, a couple of other things that we'd like to uh, just uh, finish off with uh, in this part of the discussion. In fact, an email here from listener Phil says, just when we were looking forward to a new CE, John Lee has announced more jobs for the boys, uh, creating all these new jobs to supposedly improve governance is just an opportunity to give retiring civil servants ministerial positions and more directorate posts for current serving bureaucrats. Um, uh, uh, James Sung, um, uh, could we have benefited from more, like uh, new, you know, uh, more new blood, if you like, uh, in the lineup, or, or, or what do you think? I mean, obviously, a, a level of experience is, of course, needed. Uh Okay, uh, if you look at uh, the uh, uh, Secretary for Finance, uh, Service and the uh, uh, Treasury, uh, Christopher Hoy, right. uh, he's very young. He's only 45 years old. Right. Uh, actually, five years ago, he's already a senior official uh, in, the in, in the department. So he is one of the youngest. Hopefully, in the coming future, there will be more promotion of the uh, senior official to the uh, principal official. Uh, I think uh, it's good hope, uh, especially you can uh, find some young blood from the legislature. Uh, we have four legislature now entering uh, the principal official, so uh, we, need, we need to foster more young blood in, in the coming years, actually. Grooming? Grooming the next generation of ministers? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the next generation. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll have more young blood, especially uh, if uh, the government are willing to welcome uh, talent from the political party. We have five major political parties right now in the legislature. Uh, so they, they have uh, some uh, young talent uh, uh, working very hard and have some good experience, especially uh, they are well-educated. OK, well, thank you uh, to you both very much for joining us on the programme. Um, hopefully we'll be able to uh, talk again soon about uh, political and public administration uh, matters. Uh, that was James Sung, the founding director of the Progress and Perfection uh, Research Institute and former academic. And thanks very much uh, to... 
Uh, also, we were joined by John Burns, Emeritus Professor and Honorary Professor of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. And before nine o'clock, we heard from Alan Lung, the co-convener of the Path of Democracy. And uh, for the last uh, ten minutes of the programme, we're going to switch uh, our attention um, to a new report uh, resulting from a survey which was conducted by the, the Hong Kong Obesity uh, Society, uh, which uh, spoke to 500 adults and found that about um, a third of them uh, could not uh, find motivation to uh, resume exercising. Uh, um, uh, that says the latest round of uh, anti-pandemic cur curbs was eased off and then uh, people had been sort of going out and uh, and eating larger meals and having more gatherings and so on. Anyway, to talk about this some more, we're joined by Dr Michelle Yoon, who's a founding president of the Hong Kong Obesity Society. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, so an interesting survey. I mean, that's that's a lot of people have put on a, a lot of weight by the sound of it. I mean, how, how worried should we be about this? Yes, so... Um we're actually seeing quite uh, an alarming findings uh, because, as mentioned, um, we noticed that about a third of the Hong Kong people have gained an average of 10% of weight through the um, whole COVID epidemic. What uh, further interesting information that we found is that out of those people who gain weight, um, actually those who are already belonging to the obese category have gained the most weight. So um, just to give a uh, idea, uh, people who are of the normal weight uh, range between the BMI of 18.5 to 22.9, the uh, people have, the percentage of people who have gained weight is about 25%, as opposed to those who have a BMI of 25 or above. So they're belonging to uh, the obese category, according to the Asian standards. 53% of those people have gained weight during the uh, COVID epidemic. Uh, uh, do we know why that is? Is that is that because of uh, you know it's their regular habit to perhaps like eat too much or, or not do enough exercise? Well, we have uh, tried to survey several changes in behaviour in uh, a group of um, responders. So first of all, what we notice is that during the epidemic, there is a reduction on the amount of exercise that people are doing. And the reason for that is because a lot of people have concerns of contracting um, COVID when they go outside. So a lot of them are staying home. Secondly, um, about 87% of people uh, have a sort of a decreased interest to do exercise because of the need to use a mask when they're doing the exercise, and it makes it a lot more difficult. 81% of our responders also um, expressed that because of the closure of a lot of these uh, exercise facilities, um, they have a difficulty finding a place to do exercise. And other reasons for a reduction in exercise include um, just general, you know, lower moods because of the epidemic and uh, because of social distancing, they don't have a company to do exercise mm -hmm. with them. So other changes that we have seen uh, include a change in dietary habits and also um, some of the rebound uh, spending, so to speak, when uh, the social distancing measures have reopened. So in terms of dietary uh, changes, 85% of, um, or I would say 15% of our responders uh, say that they have actually a, a, a more frequent intake of unhealthy snacks. So compared to the first four waves, when we still have sort of a um, sort of semi-lockdown in a sense, uh, the fifth wave lasted much longer, and there seems to be an 85% increase in the amount of people who um, say they have been snacking a lot more. 
and then also uh, there is an increasing habit of ordering takeout uh, during the fifth wave epidemic, especially. So compared to the first four waves, during the fifth wave, there is a 214% increase in the amount of takeout that people have been ordering. Okay. Dr. Yoon, good, good morning. I'm not one of your 500, uh, <laughs> um, but I, uh, I noticed that when the facilities were closed, um, I, well, there was nowhere for me to exercise. I wasn't allowed to swim. I wasn't allowed to go to the gym. And for that four-month period of effective lockdown, I added about one kilo a month. Right. And only when the facilities reopened... Um, I, luckily, I lost that four, and I've now lost, gone on to lose another two, although I'm still obese, according to the numbers you quoted. Um, so I'm on the way down again. But closing healthy facilities, that, that's not exactly the wisest thing, is it? Well, I guess I can see the difficulty during the time when we have a lot of uh, cases going around. Because in the, if the facilities, um, they're in a closed area, the uh, air conditioning is really sort of in a closed loop. So if uh, there is someone who is infected in the facilities, they could easily infect others. And during a time when we have a major outbreak, then I guess that's sort of um, one of the things that we can do to try to reduce the number of affected people. Uh, so... What I noticed, though, uh, during the epidemic is it seems like a lot of people are relying on um, these indoor facilities to do exercise. So when I ask my patients, uh, you know, how about, you know, just taking a walk outside or running outside or doing something outdoors or trying to do um, some home exercise? So uh, one of the things that actually have gained popularity during this epidemic is that there are a lot of um, sort of similar uh, what we call HIIT exercise, so high-intensity interval training exercise. Uh, so a lot of these um, sort of exercise regime can be found online, and there are some patients who do go online to look at these um, uh, exercise regime and try to do it at home themselves. So that's something else that we can consider doing. But it seems like a lot of um, patients or a lot of individuals in, in our society during the epidemic seems to have just lost the interest and the momentum in doing exercise and and that seems to be one of the um, major reasons why a lot of us have gained weight during the epidemic. There, there is a sort of psychological uh, issue here as well it, it, it seems to me there's this concept of a revenge eating um, could, could you explain how that works a little bit? Right so there are actually two levels to this on a very biological level um, the human body is actually a biological system that is programmed to try to increase our survival. So uh, sometimes when we starve ourselves too much, then our body goes into this starvation mode. And our body would produce all these hormones that would try to increase our appetite and reduce our metabolism to facilitate survival. So the longer that we starve ourselves, the lower our metabolic rate and the greater our appetite would become. So once we get the chance to eat, then sometimes we have this revenge sort of eating where our appetite just increases tremendously and we might overeat. And that compounded with the fact that our metabolic rate has reduced during the starvation period, then it will clearly facilitate weight gain. And we see this in people who have, you know, very extreme diet where they're eating very little for a short period of time. And once they are able to eat the diet again, then um, they, they would sort of have this revenge eating. Mm. On a second level, uh, I guess it's more on a social level, and this is what we're seeing uh, after the fifth wave has uh, passed, is that um, 
people tend to go out and eat a lot more. So this is what we are seeing in our uh, survey as well. So when the social distancing measures have relaxed, um, about 44% of our responders have uh, mentioned that they are going out a lot more to eat because they don't know when the next wave is going to come and when these measures will be in place again. So uh, also 19% of our responders have said that when they do go out to eat, they're actually eating a lot more than before, uh, possibly because, again, they don't know when they will have this chance to eat out again next time. And also the frequency uh, during which they eat out, 18% have um, say that they have increased the frequency in which they're eating out. So I guess in a social level, this is what we're seeing in in revenge eating. Interestingly, though, what we did not observe was revenge exercising. So somehow that did not happen. (laughs) When you're free to make a choice whether to eat at home or eat out, that's one situation. But when you're prevented from eating out, that, that kind of builds up uh, a resentment. Uh, and you, when it's open again, oh, okay, I'm going to make up for all the times when I couldn't eat out before. It's your yeah. revenge eating, isn't it? Yes, that's exactly correct. Sometimes, you know, the, the more that we try to suppress something that we want, the more that our body desires it. And once we're able to get our hands on it, then that's where the rebound and sort of revenge um, would come in. Okay, uh, just just uh, uh, briefly, because uh, we're nearly out of time, but what would your advice be to, to people who who've feel that they've uh, put on weight during, the, uh, during the, the, the fifth wave of the pandemic? What should, what should they do to help them to reduce it? Right, so uh, first off, try to move more, do more mm-hmm. exercise if you can. Um, choose healthier food, eat slower, try to pay attention to your satiety signal. And for people who have gained a lot of weight and are very obese, um, there is a possibility of complications coming in so those will be the great candidate to see a doctor for further help. Okay, that sounds like very, very sound advice. Thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Dr Michelle Yoon, uh, founding president of the Hong Kong Obesity Society. Uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, just a few, a couple of very quick emails. Uh, this one from Paul says, uh, uh, under, under the subject line, uh, VIP quarantine requirements for 25th anniversary in Hong Kong, says, can anyone from the Hong Kong government explain why a one-day hotel isolation is fine for these visiting dignitaries from the mainland, but not for the rest of us. Uh, that's uh, responding to uh, uh, news uh, reports. That from Paul and uh, Leon says that uh, Mike Rouse sounds like he's wearing three masks. <laughs> yes, I know. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks very much uh, to all of our listeners and all of our guests. Um, we're just going to have a, a quick look at the weather before we go to the new summary and morning brew. Uh, it's going to be uh, hot today with sunny periods, isolated showers, top temperature around 32 degrees. Um, the outlook, fine and very hot in the next couple of days. It's currently 30 degrees.